Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of being a superhero because you've got a secret. It's oat freaking meal! <laughs> you didn't hear it from me. Secret certainly describes it. Yep. <laughs> Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. This week, we are continuing our series of playing Fringeworthy in somebody else's intellectual property. And in this case, we are talking about the world of the Animorphs. Yes. And we again turn the mic over to Professor Josie, who will school us on this strange world filled with people with secrets and how the Fringeworthy may come into contact with them. All right. Where do we start? <laughs> uh, I, I got it here if I can take this. Uh, the Animorphs is a young adult book ser- series from 1996 written by K.A. Applegate. And it centers on five human teenagers and their alien mentor who grants these five the ability to morph into any living creature. And they do so in order to prevent a war a, an invasion by a race of parasitic aliens, and those well, aliens are named the Yerks. Okay, uh, they're not trying to prevent as much as stop the ongoing invasion. Okay, so the Yerks have when already they, infiltrated Earth. When they get the ability, the Yerks are there. Yeah, so it's already it's it's, it's already beginning. It's like the silence in Doctor Who. They've yes, been there for centuries. Been okay. There. They've been there for years by the time the Animorphs even get started. Okay. But it's because of the nature of the Yerks that no one knows. All right. So it's I... not just the heroes that have secrets. Everybody has one. Okay, I need to get the big blue book here. Continue explaining. Um, year. Short, uh, uh, short description. Think of your typical garden variety slug and... That's pretty much a Yerk in physical appearance. They're a parasitic race. They crawl in through the ear canal. Oh, I'm kind of reminded of the Bahazi from the Center Space role-playing game. Yeah, or the puppeteer or puppeteers from the from the puppet masters. Okay. Pretty much that. They they crawl in through the ear canal, spread themselves out over the brain, and they have complete control of the DNA they're in. Okay. Basically, you are trapped in a corner of your mind, is able to watch but not do anything. Oh it, yeah, okay. It, it cre- takes an incredibly strong will to even try to fight back. Okay, so somebody like a high-level psionic would would pretty much be fighting us every step of the way. Okay, um, but I'm gonna bring this up. Joe, you know of the game Systems Failure, right? With the lightning bugs that I use in the Saturday game. There are the silkworm zombies. Basically, grubs climb into the nose of the ear. Uh-huh. And those grubs know when somebody has a high level of telepathic power. In other words, Palladium terms a master scion. Uh-huh. They just stay away from them. Would a Yerk even mess with somebody with high level psi ability? Or would they still say, okay, we're going in? The, the- they, the Yerks tend to choose 
based on potential usefulness of the host. Without prior evidence, the only way they'll find out is once they're inside. Is once they're already inside. At that point, you have a mental battle between the Yerk and the psionic. Going so on. you have somebody who's a high-level psionic like Professor Xavier or Jean have, Grey. Having a mental battle with the Yerk and, and basically the Yerk's going to realize, oh, this is a poor life choice. I may lose here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, what, what, what book did I not read where I missed this and one? And this, this position. Yeah. <laughs> I trained her well. Um, we decided to put this on actually a relatively close world to Earth Prime. Which is why we had to narrow things, certain things down. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're talking negative 3-1. So this would be, a, you know, uh, we put it here, so therefore it would be considered an early campaign world that would be found. Now, the world description, Arctic, very cold with little else but Eskimos and polar bears with an attitude. Who's to say that those polar bears might not be... That the reason polar bears got an attitude... Because there's a yerk inside. Is because that's actually an anamorph. Or well, could be a yerk. Well, with a significantly large brain, a yerk could take over an animal. Yeah. Because look at the size and sheer power of a polar bear. These are not timid oh, animals. Yeah. yeah. And an exploration of Arctic environment? Yeah. They would go You're for You're going to want to have the most durable form. For the environment. Yes. They do this on several occasions. And polar bears are kind of like an apex predator in an Arctic situation. Mm -hmm. There's very little that can take on there is, a polar bear in the Arctic. There is a section in the books where the Animorphs are in Arctic area trying to shut down something the Yerks are doing. There. Okay. So, yeah, that's also partly why I chose that, because it directly ties into the story by location. Okay, well, I'll read the, the main blurb here in the on-the-page featured articles. The Yerks are a parasitic alien species. In their natural state, they resemble large slugs and live in lakes of sludge known as Yerk pools. The Yerks have the ability to enter another being's body and take over all brain functions, including basic motor and speech control, essentially becoming that person. The Yerks run this civilization as an empire ruled by a council of 13. The Yerks were discovered by an Andalite named Ciro, who gave them the means to leave their planet. Ooh. Way to go. The Yerks uh. took advantage of his kindness and used the Andalite technology to invade other species and conquer other species for the sole purpose of expansion. Thus, the creation of Ciro's kindness. Uh, their own version of the Prime Directive. Okay. <laughs> so, let's see. Yeah, Arctic. Well, the polar bears of attitude. Um, the Yerk's level of technology. Now, obviously, if they're parasitic, they would have to ride they other life forms to, to travel. Yes, they do have to ride other they, they they do have to ride inside other life forms to travel. So they they prefer bodies with the range of movement. So it is actually very unlikely that a that the polar bear with an attitude is gonna be a yerk. Okay. <clears throat> they won't degrade themselves by taking over a lower life form like that. Okay, so they want they want the, sentient the beings. Sentient beings, yes. Yes. They they also derive the they also derive pleasure from bending sentient beings to their will. Oh no, no. From what I'm seeing here, if they run their civilization as an empire and they invade and conquer for expansion. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh no, these these are not good beings. Oh no. The the, the vast majority of the Yerk Empire if they can't use you as a host body they or slave labor, they will kill you. Okay. All right. There have been races that have been wiped out entirely by them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Invade and conquer, yeah. They just step on you and move to the next world. Yes. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, this would be something because it... Well, I mean, it could be a late campaign because let's just say the GM decides to lock down this world and all of a sudden you have a high enough level key. Oh, wait a minute, this is a relatively close portal thing and you're on the animal's world and it could be a late campaign. It could be 20, right. 30 years after Fringe Discovery and they it just... Depends on, yeah. It depends on how you want to run your campaign. Right. So, the Animorphs themselves. 
As I said, I got the main page here, and there is one, two, three, four, five. Uh. Yeah, five Earth kids. You have Jake, Marco, Rachel, Cassie, and Tobias. Right. And let's see, Jake, put upon leader of the Animorphs. Marco, Jake's wisecracking best friend. Rachel, Jake's cousin, a gung-ho action girl. Cassie, Rachel's best friend, the Animorphs, animal lover and environmentalist. Tobias, trapped in Hawkmorph, the Animorphs surveillance expert. Uh, previously, pretty much before he became trapped in Hawkmorph, shy, uh, shy introvert shuffled around from one relative to the other. Okay. And then you have Axe, an Andalite far away from his people, expert on alien technology. Mostly because he's the only Andalite within several hundred light years. Okay. And he's also the, uh, from reading in, in TV tropes, he, he likes motor oil and cigarette butts to eat. Yes, he does, because he doesn't entirely understand the intricacies of a human human taste buds, the digestive system. He doesn't entirely understand why. So he's eating things that are inherently bad, and I'm sure he's probably fine because, yeah. He, he, he finds it out later, but... So the kids the are going, dude, are you chugging taste, 10W30? The, the sensation of taste is new to him because Andalites don't have any mouths. They okay. communicate telepathically. Uh, um, think of a blueford cross between a centaur and a scorpion. Oh, okay. They, they have the, uh, the, 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 the centaur-like body, a, a vicious tail blade that they are incredibly fast with. And there's, the, in addition to the eyes on their head, they have two eye stalks that they can rotate 360 degrees to see all around them. I find it funny that these that that basically denotes a predator life form with that. Yet yeah. they are that. They are a peaceful people. Yeah. They have the uh, the tail blade mainly for de- mainly for defending themselves. Yeah, but still, back in back in the day before they would have evolved. No, think think Stegosaurus. Think Stegosaurus. Think Ankylosaurus. Yeah. They weren't really predators. Yeah. They didn't evolve as predators. They they evolved the way they did to get away. And it's when they when they're cornered. Basically. I have to say this. I'm looking at a picture of a, of Axe from mm-hmm. his human form to his transformed form, and I'm looking at transformed form going. He looks like the tick. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm seeing what they are. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, he has a hooked claw in the back, and that's more defensive. Than anything you know, you, you know, especially you, you have to turn around to use it. From the looks of it, nope. no, nope. they, 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 they can bring they it forward. Can, they they can whip it in front of them faster than you can even blink. Oh, it's. They, they they fight necessary. Yeah. Certainly, due to the the whole year year invasion thing, it's become a lot more necessary. Okay, but it sounds like you also have the prime directive up the yin yang. Initially, they have that, and it it has interfered on several occasions. So basically, we have a cross between the Heinlein's puppet masters, and um. Happy go, happy go lucky aliens trying to help humans out, and kids who can transform into other into other critters, uh, other other things. Yeah, we have the happy go lucky alien that's basically violating the major laws of his people. So the Andalites usually would not get involved with Earth. They they wouldn't they were they will not give their secrets or technology to other races. Well yeah, because they realized when they did it with the Yerks what it it caused. Yeah. It created a galactic menace. Yeah. 
So Axe is technically, he is violating his own people's codes in order to save Earth. Right. He, he violates his own people's codes several times in order to, to assist them. So he's the Captain Kirk of their people. Gotcha. Um. <laughs> if anyone was, it was actually Elfangor. Okay, but still, the fact that Axe is... someone basically going... Right. But, yeah, Axe, if he's, if he's gotten this far and shared Andalite morphing technology with five of the indigenous he has people... Not, he was not the one that shared the technology with them. The Animorphs acquired the ability to morph from Elfangor. And that is... Um, actually... Isn't he Axe's, like, uncle or... Elfangor Serenial Chantul. Gesundheit. <laughs> he is actually Axe's older brother. Yes. He's been to Earth before, and in a timeline that no longer exists, except one thing of evidence from that timeline. Okay. He ran, effectively, he ran away. He left the battle by morphing into a human and staying that way. Well, because, yeah, I'm seeing here Axe, uncle of Tobias. Yes. That's the sole evidence of the previous timeline where Elfangor leaves the battle behind. Tobias's existence is center point. Okay. So his birth is what they would be calling a Heisenberg effect. Mm-hmm. Something which is pivotal to a timeline. Okay. Because his his birth is so central to it, but as is Axis. So Elfangor leaving and not returning does result in Axe not being born because that interferes with with the ongoing war between the Andalites and the Yerks. Okay. A, another being intercede, intervened and put Elfangor on the proper path to ensure the six would meet. Okay. The entire point was so the six of them would meet. Sounds a bit like Rachel from uh, X-Men. Who who's the daughter of uh, Cyclops and uh, and Jane Grey from an alt from a future timeline? Yeah, which probably never going to happen now. Oh, right. well, you mean in the movie series or in the comic book? It definitely is not going to happen because they changed the past. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so yeah, it's... and then and then she shifted over before her her timeline collapsed. She shifted over into the the surviving timeline. Right, so, it, so, it's yeah. something like that. Okay. Basically, Tobias, who would have only existed had Elfangor not returned to the battle because he'd gotten the, the girl he fell in love with, it, it, he'd gotten with her. Tobias was basically shifted into the timeline that allowed X to exist as well. Okay. No one remembers Elfangor's human form or or his name or or the name he went by. Okay. But the the effects are there. Okay. All right, let's see here. We will get into the reason why these five humans can morph into animals. Oh. It is something known as the Escafil device. Oh. A technical term for the quote-unquote blue morphing cube that gives the individual the power to morph. It goes by other names, but is most well known as the Escafil device, named after the Andalite scientist Escafil, who helped create the morphing technology. Light blue cube that is operated by touch contact, and apparently one person, the giver, who should always already have the morphing ability has to touch one side of it, while those receiving the morphing ability touch other sides. When touched, it gives the user the permanent ability to acquire DNA from live animals and change morph into the animal. 
Once the individual gains the morphing ability, they do not need to use the Escobill device again. Its exact function is not known, but it is speculated to be a vast network of thousands of microbionic units. These units would be contained in the Escobill device, the central computer for the smaller morphing units. All right. No. Nanotech. That genetically modifies them at, at, at the, so that they can do this. Gee, that sounds familiar. Oh, yeah, as we discussed as just we before, discussed the, taping, before yeah. the taping. Yes, it does sound very familiar. Well, mucking around with people's DNA is, a, is actually a Commonwealth trope. I mean, that, they do it all the time. It's not a bad thing. It's just no. what they do. It, it's not nothing. <laughs> just it, it just exists. Yeah, it's just there. Yeah, but it, yeah, I mean, some... it, if you're going to bring friends really into it, it's in, in endemic inside yeah. the whole mindset of 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 the Commonwealth. That hey, you know, we we can make you better than you were before. We have the technology. We can make you better, right. faster, stronger. Of course, T primers had, had were tending going. Oh, oh, look, you're cute, aren't you? Let me give you some different color hair. There you go. Go away. Go away. Or, or the whole thing about also, uplifting um, creatures. Yeah, they it did is that. also incredibly resistant to being. It is also incredibly resi resilient, hard to damage at all. As when the device that was carried on Alfangor's ship, after after use it to give the animals <laughs> their abilities, when the ship was destroyed by the Yerks. They thought the device was destroyed as well, but it was simply blown away by the basically blast wave blew it away. Yeah. Although the Animorphs had long believed that the Escaville device that Elfangor used to give them powers was destroyed when the ship was destroyed by the Yerks, it was later discovered by David where he picked it up was unspecified, although it was definitely in the construction site. The Animorphs subsequently were claiming it. <laughs> that involves more trouble than most would say was worth it. Oh. Yeah, I think there's a character by the name of David. Yeah. Yes. David was trouble. Yeah, I think Teotrope's name him label him the Six Ranger Traitor. <laughs> yeah. Yes, actually, yeah. That that I guess that does sum him up perfectly. Trying to sell the box on the internet, really? <laughs> Hey, eBay. It's this mysterious blue cube. It, it, it flows. I don't know what else. Yeah. eBay exists. Anything. Some idiot will buy it. Yeah. Unfortunately, other people that are not idiots will know exactly what it is. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. I can see it. The bidding war in that would be would be uh, immense because you know, say, okay, we need to win this. Well. Go find someone who's rich so we can he can bid on it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, the attention at first draws is unpleasant. Yeah, yeah, I'm reading what happened to. Unfortunately, he's a or, he's an orphan. Not originally. But hey, when you're <laughs> nobody is originally an orphan, John, unless they were yeah. grown. But hey, but hey, when your parents get. By a, by a parasitic alien race, well... The fact that with no prior evidence, they would they wouldn't know until they're already inside. Yeah, and then once they start rolodexing Rolo the prey's brain, realizing, ooh, telepathy, mind control, ooh, telekinesis, you know. And then, and then the voice going, "This is my mind. Get out of it." <laughs> at that point, they're basically. Not doing anything as the two grapple for control of the body. Yeah. Ooh. Could a master psionic force the Yerk 
out. Just say, hey, look, there's the door. I'll suffer the bloody nose. There's the door. <laughs> go back in the way you came. Or get get out the way you got in. Go yeah. back out the... Uh, <laughs> go back out the way you can. Yeah. Yeah. I'll 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 suffer the ruptured eardrum if you you know vacate now. Could a master psionic force a year to just? Well, yes, but it it would involve. I, I imagine it would involve great risk on their part as well because a year will. Uh, he'd leave, but kicking and screaming, so to speak. He'd, he'd leave, kicking and screaming. Also, if the host is dying, they'll, they'll abandon the host body. Well, yeah. Oh, so if a Yerk is controlling a human and you gun that human down, Yerk dies with him? Or do they just they, leave the corpse? They, 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 they leave the corpse. Okay. And and so, right. so standard thing, don't shoot him in the chest, shoot him in the head. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm thinking of well, Blank Man. I, yeah, shoot him in the head! <laughs> That would work. Shoot him in the head. You might also hit the ear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Use a shotgun to make sure. Oh. They, they can't go anywhere if they're in several pieces. Yeah. Keep rounds. Yeah. Anyways. Now, I do. I did read that they have to go into the yerk pool every so often. Yes. They have. They have to visit the Yerk pool once every three days to absorb what is called Kadrana rays. Uh, basically, it's the radiation that comes from their own their own sun. So basically, if, if they're in a human form, they don't need? No, they, they still need that, but the feeding once every three days sustains them. So if they're taking over a human body, they still got to leave that human... Physically yes. leave the human... That's why they build the they build these vast underground caverns where the yerk pool is to house the host bodies while the yerk is feeding. Okay. Okay, and that and that's where a master sonic telekinetic goes, thank you. <laughs> okay, so once a human taken over by a yerk. The Yerk takes that human back to the, one of these underground complexes. Yerk leaves the human. Right. Is the, the human just other, like insensate and just sort of stands it, there? It, it depends on the... See, sadly, here's where you get the variation on, on humanity here. Some people voluntarily do this. They, they, they allow the Yerks to take them over because promises power and whatnot, whatever. Well, yeah. They, they give themselves over to this completely. They're considered voluntary hosts, and they, they're allowed to wander wander around the cavern freely. Ooh. Those that are taken are basically grabbed by nearby guards and, and forced into cages. Okay, then the Yerk leaves, goes in the pool, and, and baits, right and the, climbs back in. After the Yerk leaves, the, the host is suddenly left in control of the body. And finds itself in a cage, yeah. And, but before they can really start fighting back, they're wrestled into a cage. Okay, so when a Yerk controls a human, I take it that they're an unwilling passenger basically pounding on the inside of their brain, yep. going, let me out, and just watching what yep. this Yerk is doing. That would suck because if a yerk sits there and does all types of criminal stuff. Yep. Yeah. To all, for all intents and purposes, it's you doing it. You can't prove otherwise. Yeah. So a yerk, let's say a yerk, you know, gets up in my head, starts killing people. And I'm sitting there going, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, and yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah, that could be bad. Okay. So we have these five teenagers. One of them who apparently is part Andalite. Tobias. He's 100% human because the, the Andalite that spawned him was human. Was entirely time. human. Okay. He had passed the two-hour time limit. Okay, yeah. Like All I right. said, he ran. He, he left the battle behind. Okay. He only found out when it was too late for that timeline that the Yerks were coming. 
Thankfully, the, the other being known as the Elimus sent him back. It's like, oh no, you're not going sure. anywhere. No, no. To, uh, uh, to make sure certain things happened. When he found out that the Yerks were on their way to Earth in the new timeline, he tried to go and get something, get the time matrix that he had left buried it in what was a forest. Okay, the time matrix that is made by a race known as the Ketran. Yes, the Ketran. small winged aliens almost completely wiped out by Capucins. Okay. Uh, Ketran. They would play civilization-like games. And they, you know how we send out our games and, and, and media as a form of communication showing what we're like? Yeah, like on the ca- the, the Capsians? Capsians. The Capsians saw these transmissions from the Ketrans, but they didn't realize that these civilization games were just that. They thought the Ketrans were literally interfering in the development of other worlds causing entire races to be wiped out. Yeah, here it is. Eventually a race called the Capucins came and killed nearly all the Ketrans. This is because the game was broadcast throughout space, much in the same way that humans broadcast messages about their society via radio waves. The Capucins, who had no concept of games, believed that the Ketrans callously played with the lives of real species and needed to be stopped. The last Ketrans escaped in an experimental spacecraft. While in space, they spent the next several decades searching for a plant to call their new home. They eventually came to a moon covered almost entirely with water, which they believed could have been favorable, save for some vital characteristics that need to be discerned. As they came closer to the surface of the water in an effort to probe the moon, their craft was seized by the tentacle of a creature whose tentacle body covered the entire surface of the moon. They pulled the ship into the water, and all aboard the ship perished, save one catcher named Tumen. It was basic. Yeah, Tumen is the catcher that went under the. Basically, his gamer name was the Elimist. Okay. That was his thing. His whole thing was as little interference as possible in the race he was supposed to be guiding. Okay. After meeting with this, after meeting with this cynical thing. He ends up becoming far more powerful and basically ascending to. Uh, he basically becomes a deity after absorbing that thing's power. It, it takes a very long time for this to happen. It being was the, the the being was lonely, and that's the only reason it kept him alive to have somebody to talk to. Ah, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Proved to be his undoing. One thing I, I was looking through the um, tropes and mentioning, uh, we were talking about psionics. Uh, they were talking about, um, I think it was Jake. Jake morphed into a howler, a race, a hive mine. Oh, yes. Which means if a, if a yerk were to try to infect one of those guys, they all know it. And immediately assaulted by the sensation of the hive mind. Yeah, because you've got millions of perceptions hitting your sensorium at once. Mm -hmm. And if your mind is not ready to assimilate that much information, you basically go insane. It's only Jake, it's only the animal's prior experience with ants and termites. That saves him from that. Aha, okay, yeah. Fire experience with hive mind creatures so they know how to handle the, the, the sudden influx. They've learned how to correlate all that information and safely and shove it to the side. Yeah. Of course, that makes me wonder then, we're talking about sonic beings. There is one player character race you can play that's not quite sonic, but dude. Oh, you mean like that, the blizzness? Yeah, that's right, the blizzness. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they are considered side. That empathic field is a psionic ability. And it, it would affect the Yerks. Would they even want to infect a blizzness? Because they'd be just blissed Dude. Out, yeah. Well, What's this whole conquering thing? Why don't we just sit back and be, like, mellow? <laughs> yeah. Well, shit. That, that, that could be an interesting that could be an interesting thing. Yeah, because these Yerks 
it from what I understand, that need for conquest, that's racial. It's not like it, a genetic it, it's trait. It's a racial thing. Or it, it's it, like it, a cultural. It, it, it's a cultural thing. So yeah, thing. you bliss out a year with a blizzness diplomacy field. They're just gonna want to kick back in the the year pool and just you know like, dude. Hey, back why pedal, do we you need know, to do this anyway? Yeah. yeah. Of course, they're blind and they're totally blind and lacking in sensations, but hey, yeah, the, 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 the rays are good, so hey, you know. They have a sort of they have a sort of echolocation underwater and that is evidenced by ugh, I'm possibly still, the I'm... most disgusting of all, and this is counting the mosquito morph. One of the animals morphing a yerk. What? Not the not the flea morph. Like I said, counting the mosquito, this is possibly the most disgusting one. So when a human actually a human actually does morph into a yerk. Yes. Oh. Actually, it is Cassie, and she not only does one but two different yerks. Hmm. And, and she still has the ability to do that. Okay, this morphing. Let's let's I, get to go. morphing. Let's let's get into that because, let's face it, there is a chance that a fringe team could find an Escafil device, and for whatever reason in the story, let's say a five-member team comes up to one of the Animorphs and they said, "Okay, we need this ability. We need your help." They all touch this now. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Morphing. Advanced biotechnological device created by the Andalites. Its power made transferable via small via a small blue cube called the Escobar device. Morph capable beings are capable of acquiring the DNA of an animal, allowing them to physical morph in that animal at will. Okay. Once you acquire that DNA, you can morph into that animal as many times as you like mm -hmm. at will, which means it's not a one-shot deal. No. If I sit there, if I have the morphing ability, and I get the DNA, which would include hair, blood, no, fingernail, it, or... Uh, the only thing that would have... It, you you have to have skin contact with the creature. So even just like skin cell, or you don't need blood necessarily, just touch that animal. Touch, you have to have direct skin contact with the animal. So not just the hair. I would have to like reach past... Like a bird, I'd have to sit there and get through the feathers and touch the flesh. Just, just, yeah. Yeah. It, it, touching the animal and concentrating through the process. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay. Morphing technology is still new and very unpredictable. Any damage or injury sustained while in the morph will be healed as the body, body is based purely on the DNA. Therefore, similar to injuries, things such as surgeries and implants will not affect the morph. Some, like the Animorphs, have found success in integrating very small amounts of skin-tight clothing into morphs. Usually, it consists of things such as leotards, similarly tight clothing, and nothing like coats or even shoes. Okay. Oh, no, they, they frequently tear apart shoes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, morphing uses cascading cellular regeneration combined with a variant on Z-Space technology in order to make the transformation. It typically takes about two minutes to morph, though. This varies depends on the user's focus. If one stays in a morph longer than two hours, they become trapped in that morph, turning into a nufflet. A nufflet can never return to their original form. While in morph, one is still capable of thought speak. One also has the drawback advantage of being confronted by the morph creature's mind and instincts. This proves very useful for using the body and functioning at its peak, but it also proves to be a struggle when you first enter the morph, and also when you go against the creature's instinct. Example, cat hunting a mouse, predator wanting to hunt, etc. Note that these two minutes for the morph will be counted as your morph time. So once you complete the full morph into the animal, you still have one hour and 58 minutes to get your job done and turn back into human. Yep. Okay. Less than that because you have to account for morphing back. And that takes two minutes as well. Right. So you have an hour 56. Yes. Okay. So theoretically, is it possible if it's, two, if it's uh, one hour and 59 minutes, would you be stuck in that, in that half? Yes. It, theoretically, it is possible to become stuck halfway in between. Oh, Actually, okay. there was an instance where they almost did. One of them was almost stuck as an enormous flea. 
So basically yeah. like an anthro, like let's say if you were to turn into a turtle for whatever reason mm-hmm. and you get stuck in there, you'd end up looking like one of the Ninja Turtles as if you're growing t- back to your normal size. That way, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I was reading, yeah, I was reading that it was basically, it was Jake and he, he, he turned to a, fl- a flea the size of a dog. Right. And it was which which any dog would look at that and go f this stuff I'm out seeing a flea the size as you <laughs> check please yeah well you considering the size of the proboscis that would be on the front of that thing ready to suck suck blood yeah I'd be running away if I was a dog yep okay there are several other quirks to morphing an estrine is a person naturally talented at morphing. This type of person can morph an accelerated rate, control instincts better, and also control the normal chaotic process of morphing itself. Oh, so a genetic predisposition. Yes, they have the ability, and instead of looking absolutely gross, it, it seems to flow naturally okay. from one to the next. Accidental hybrid morphing. Another morphing-related problem is caused by emotional stress, which disrupts a person's natural ability to concentrate during the morph and causes them to morph at least two animals at once, resulting in in bizarre combination of body parts that rarely flow together very well. And the Frolus Maneuver, particularly useful aspect of morphing in which one combines the DNA of several samples of the same from the same species to create a new being for a morph. This can be used, for example, to avoid having exact duplicate of a human when in morph, should one be morphing a human. Um, Elfangor and Axe both use this maneuver. Okay. But the accidental hybrid morphing... Um, Causes them to morph at least two animals at once. Emotional stress, They're, um, as an example, they're trying to morph a bird, but they're getting cat at the same time. Because they've got the cat DNA in them already. Yes. Oh, I oh, if I were a geneticist and I were to sit there and get a blood sample, that's why that's I'd be looking so, going, what the that's hell? That's why it's so dangerous for them to go into battle in their normal forms. Yeah, but I mean, the fact that, yeah, there's no way that you could sit there and you would have to be in that form already. Because let's say you get surprise attack. Let's say you got the five animorphs. Mm-hmm. Or no, let's say you got a fringe team. Yeah. And they've and they've, they've taken advantage of the Escapel device. Right. And all of a sudden, let's say there's a Melor on that world. Yeah. Yeah, they want to turn into like gorillas and elephants and whatnot. No, they're spending two minutes changing. Mm-hmm. Which... In D20 terms, that's a 20 lot. rounds. Yeah. Yeah. You, There's no instant change. I mean, unless... If you want to do this in D20 terms... Uh, well, because Fringe were the D20, that's the, the latest the, one we have. The, so, yeah, we're going to... The, the S-string could be a, uh, a, a, a trait of some kind. You can link it to French worthiness if you want to. Oh, wait. Or it could be a feat you could take. I mean, if you're doing D20, you would need to do a bunch of feats. And- because yeah. as your concentration grows, you have a little bit more control of the process. More of an accelerated rate. So instead of two minutes, one minute. Right. And even then, even still, then, that's, it's, that's it's, ten it's, rounds. It's not much for combat. Right. You really have to go into that. If you know it's coming, yeah, you morph before the combat starts. Yeah, basically you need to hide, and then okay, we need to do this. Somebody give us cover fire, and you know, right? Yeah. Now, one of the characters that I was reading about Rachel, she's a bit bulletproof from the sounds of it. She's more, you know more bulletproof than you would expect a bear or an elephant to be, and it sounds like it's one of the side effects of her power is that she's e- even tougher than the animal she's become. That's because she's got her own ferocity backing it. Ah, so basically, it'd be like a whiz. She's not referred. She's referred to by Marco as Xena for a reason. Ah, she is the Xena of the group. So it sounds like if you have a high combat rating or what? No, no. What would be the equivalent in D twenty? Would be uh, would be probably base attack bonus. Yeah, but I'm thinking what what physical? It has to be like a high wisdom. Or a low. I mean, how would you? How would you? You know, say if you have if you have a higher wisdom, you actually gain some extra armor because your will, your sure willpower. That sounds like a monk's uh, dodge bonus, which is based on their wisdom. Yeah, that could be it. That's yeah. 
Yeah, the monk usually ah, gets their wisdom modifier added as a dodge bonus for... There are seven main rules to morphing which cannot be disobeyed. Okay, I'll scroll down here. Rule one, time limit equal to two Earth hours. You stay in a morph more than two hours, you're an awful. You're stuck in that form ever again. You can't morph. Right. Two, you cannot acquire a morph directly from another person's morph or acquire a morph while you were in a morph. You have to be in your natural form. Rule three, you cannot morph directly from one morph to another. You must, yeah, trans, so cat, you can't go from a cat to a dog. You have to go cat, base form, dog. Right. Rule four, it is possible to combine the DNA of several samples from the same species to create a new being for a morph. This is known as the Frolis Maneuver. So basically you're becoming a chimera. Of sorts, yes. Yeah. It, 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 but it, it, uh, it, it meshes the DNA from from the multiple samples into a single sample that you then use. Yeah, but still, you're going to be seeing, oh, look. Oh, look, there's... A gorilla with lobster claws and... No. no, no I, th- I thought it was from the same species. Same species only. So you're, you're becoming the Ur version. You're becoming the the, the Uber. It, it'd be best to... It's, it's best done with a human. Okay. Because of the wide variety of samples you can get. Okay, rule five. Morphing sickness is a rarely documented case where a morpher is allergic to DNA they've acquired. They become nauseous and are prone to involuntary bouts of morphing while under stress. After a certain amount of time, between a few days and a week, one burps the DNA, so to speak, forcing out the creature its entirety. Through the cascading cellular regeneration, entirely new animals created and expelled from the morpher system. They are then faced with the problem of having the animal there in the first place, should this animal prove to be dangerous. This process of expelling the DNA is called herethlinint, translated from the Andalite tongue as burping DNA. That's so basically you just spit up a, a snake or something. Yep. That that was the that was used in the book was crocodile. Okay. Basically uh, even in her normal form you would find that she in this case, since it's Rachel, you would find that Rachel would have problems touching, interacting with crocodiles, even in a normal form, let alone trying to morph into one. Okay. Rule six. When one morphs a being smaller than themselves, the extra mass is extruded into Z space. In the rare event that a ship would pass by, they would be drawn into it, likely evaporated by the ship's force field. Ouch. That part is theorized. Also, if one were to morph a form larger than oneself, the extra mass would likely be drawn from Z-space. It's the old comic book trope, you know, like Ant-Man or the Atom. Just, yeah. Right. And uh, rule seven. One can morph in any living multicellular animal whose DNA they have acquired. However, one cannot morph a plant, a dead animal, inanimate objects like chairs or bacterium. Understandable. Yeah. But still, you have, let's say, you know, the IDET gets the ability. Mm-hmm. So, you know, over the course of the two minutes, barring one of them being in a stream, right. which again, I'm seeing as a genetic quirk, not so much a, oh, yeah, I'm just familiar. No, you are genetically predisposed to be in a stream. predisposed to controlling it better. But there have been times where even the other Animorphs have significantly sped up the process. Well, that's after a while they become familiar with it. Right. If you do it enough after a while, it's going to be just, you know, like they say, old hat, you know. Right. Especially if you have forms you use all the time. Right. Actually, I think your scenario there, so it sounds like, so once you become an animorph, you can't, you know, even if you're your base form, you can't, your DNA cannot be absorbed by another animorph then, Correct. Your uh, natural form can be acquired by another person. Ah, so we can have a case of everyone's John, you know. Uh. <laughs> yeah. There is a point where X has to acquire Jake because they, because he ends up with a year in his head. Yeah, let's see. Acquiring. We'll, we'll, okay, we'll talk about the acquiring process. Finally, there's the effect during the acquiring process itself. In order to acquire a creature, one must have physical contact with the subject in question. The acquiring process demands concentration. A break in concentration will abort the process. During the process, when the animal is being acquired, it falls into a trance and becomes docile, similar to being tranquilized. 
This effect lasts for mere seconds after the acquiring is complete, so for it to be advantageous, it has to be used quite carefully. Rarely, the acquiring process has no effect whatsoever, and the animal is not affected. This is very rare, however, and usually not an issue. There is no known limit to how many morphs one can possess. It is possible to acquire an organism from a sample of its blood. The DNA is in store, stored inside the body within a neutron mo molecule sphere, supercooled to subzero temperatures, lying dormant until called upon for a morph. The stored DNA simply floats around the blood system until called forth by the morphing technology. The morpher's original DNA is stored in a similar fashion while in morph. Well, yeah, the, gen the trope in genetic engineering is if you genetically change a being, let's say I use advanced genetics, I want to become, I want to adopt a toric form, i.e. like a centaur. Mm -hmm. Geneticists will usually leave one strand of your base DNA in case you need to undo the alteration. This right. is the same thing. Let's say something happens with that alteration. Okay, we need to have, we need to get you back to your normal form. You just tap into that one strand of DNA left behind and you right. revert back through genetic creche or an auto doc or whatever. Mm -hmm. You get back reverted to normal form, baseline right. form. So yeah. The, if you want to be absolutely safe, you have a bit more than just one strand. Well, yeah, but you always... Always leave some baseline you DNA. Leave at least one. Let's see. As a final note, it is no occasionally mentioned that the animorphs use morphing technology in a much different fashion than from that of its animal-like creators, where the animorphs amass a vast arsenal of situational morphs and use them as weaponry. Andalite morphers usually spend their lives mastering one or two morphs for the purpose of subterfuge. Oh, this I know. If the andalites, if the andalites were to sit there and wait a minute, you've absorbed how many animals? Yeah, they, they would be probably. I, I believe they would understand it in this case because humans are frail in their natural state. Right. Whereas an Andalite, they have that tail blade. The, the, tail blade and they got the, the speed and, you they, know, they, they got they that torque that form. basically yeah. from, when they, from yeah. when they can walk. But, yeah, the fact that, I mean, the Andalites would know you could amass. I mean, in order to know the technology, they would have to know, okay, you could have as many morphs as you want. Right. But they... Just for preference, they only use one or two. It's a cultural thing. Yeah. They would realize that the humans, in order to maximize potential of this power, you'd have as many morphs as you can absorb. Right. It's combat capabilities. Yeah. Who's a fan of Michael Jordan shaking his hand. Oh. Because, you know, I want to play like Michael Jordan. Hey, let's go meet Michael Jordan, and you can then play just like Michael Jordan. Well, you still need the skill, but you can have his body. Yeah, you have his body and his reflexes, which that's a help right there. You just don't, you just don't have his experience. That's the thing. Yeah, you more, yeah, from what I'm seeing, you morph into a person. Let's say I had that ability and I tapped into, you know, Me. Josie. Boom. Okay. I would have her form, I'd have her body, I'd have her reflexes. Problem is, I would not have her experiences. Right. If I were to sit there and try to fake my way through being a, you know, what I call, I, I, I've kind of dubbed her the new nickname, the pint-sized living Pokédex. I wouldn't have that Pokédex knowledge. I would right. know nothing about Pokémon Pokemon except what I know. if I were to morph into you, I'd have your... Obviously have, stronger have physical body, strong. height, but... And the ability to morph into a rage monster. <laughs> you would have the natural reflexes and inclinations of the body, but no, none of the experience. Right. None of the, none of the um, emotional aspects. The will, the will to succeed. You know the yeah. Uh, oh, all well, the things that make up somebody's ability to excel, uh, right. other than the mere physicality. Physical, yes. So. So it, it, we were talking beforehand that th this sounds a bit like the Miller ability, except it doesn't have the memory transfer. It's more of uh, you're turning into the thing, but you're not turning into the thing. You're just turning into a copy, physical copy, but not anything else. You're not getting the mental aspects. Yeah, that's yeah. why it's called anamorph, John. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it basically, D20 terms, your physical stats would change due to the creature you're turning into, but your mental stats are still you. Until such time... Until such time you become a Nothlet. Mm -mm. Mental stats don't change. It's still you. 
It, the, the, the oh, person, so you still are capable of the thoughts. Yeah, yes, Tobias stuck in Hawk form. You're still capable of the thought speak and everything. You just yeah. no longer morph out of that form. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. It's, okay. This is a strange question. It, so, it sounds like whatever the technology is, is shut down or gone away. Um, what do you mean? If it's shut, if it's if it's gone away, why can't you just touch the cube again? You can't. I think it's for said, some reason it it won't work like that. I think it said that once you have it, you can't use again. Let me let's go back to the uh, yeah yeah. So, so basically, it says like it isn't that it's goes away. It's it's shut down, and you can't turn. Yeah, it back no on. touchbacks, John. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it would be. It just. Uh, well, it says once an individual gains the morphing ability, they do not need to use the Escaville device again. Yeah. So basically, you can't, you know, you can't charge up, and if it shuts down after two hours, then it's shut down, and you can't turn it back on again. Yeah. Right. You need, and it. The only two people that have regained that ability have been Elfangor and Tobias, both with the intervention of the Elimist. Okay. That is the. Ketron, last of the Ketrons, who after absorbing an incredibly old S creature's power, became a god himself. Okay, so that's when you mentioned before, short of divine intervention, if you're a Nothlet, you're there for yes. life. Yes, you are there for the natural life of the creature you have turned into. Oh, that would suck because a lot of creatures don't live as long as a human. Right. Unless you're like a Galapagos tortoise or something, mm -hmm. yeah. I think is it David gets turned into a rat. Yeah, how long does a common white rat live? Three years tops, four years. Mm-hmm. Oh. By the time everything's over, he's and he and he's a teenager, so actually, you just take a year off of that. No. No. DNA of the rat. Oh. So you would be considered a teenage rat. Of the rat. So if the rat is two years old, you're a two old. You're, you're, you're middle age. Oh. Yes. You factor in the DNA, the, the age of the creature at the time of the Ooh, STBY. Yep. Sucks to be you. <laughs> yeah, it did. Okay, we, we deduced because we kind of, well, let's call this mental reverse engineering. Because we said that this morphing ability is very similar, but not exact to that of a uh, Melor's transformation ability where you touch the creature and you at least absorb the form we did a little reverse mental and reverse engineering of what this device could be now it says it goes by their names but is most well known as the Escaville device named after the Andalite scientist Escaville who helped create the morphing technology right based on this um, we it, it could be said that this is lost and or abandoned Termelon tech or Commonwealth, or Commonwealth tech. tech. Yeah. But given the fact that the Andalites have never met humans before, yeah, I would imagine that it's Termelon in nature. If well, the Commonwealth not not all Commonwealth races were human. Or it just came into contact with the non-human Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's nothing stopping one of those races, uh, Andalites, you know, finding an Earth that never was, ne never had humans or had never had any intelligent life and settling as a colony, and all of a sudden, hey, hi, we're the Jamelin, shake hands. They did say that the Andalites got into space travel long before humans even even started coming out of their caves. So they they would have figured out Z space and how to do this Escavel device well after that. Well, because the Escavel device can it gives the person who uses the Escavel device the ability to extract or expel mass into Z space, which is their version of hyperspace. Mm -hmm. Bruce already said that's dimensional tech. That's something that the Termelern had down cold. Right. I would so say most likely this was Termelon tech, and because it was, it mimics the ability of an infected Melor shape shifting. I kind of deduce that 
it was something that the Commonwealth or the Termellor might have said, excuse me, well, let's try to beat the Meller at their own game. They can shape shift, so can we. Let's try to give our people their abilities. Right. And it may have not worked properly, and they just may have abandoned it in that universe saying, eh. Or they never got the chance to finish it. Right. Again, the Melor were pretty sneaky, and, you know, if the one thing they're out, good at is subterfuge. If they found out that something like this was, was going to be done, they would have put every effort possible into, into trying to wipe out every evidence of it. Yeah. So. Now, it said Escafil helped develop it. Let's say Escaville found this discarded Termellern tech. Mm-hmm. And the Andalites being pretty intelligent beings from what I'm seeing here. Yeah. They decide, you know, it's like Dee Dee. Ooh, what's this button do? And then they're, they realize, you know. They're it, known throughout the galaxy for their advanced technology. So they would already have enough of the mindset to realize, ooh, microbionic units? Okay, this is nanotechnology. All right, let's see what they do. Nanotechnology is PL7. Right. Yeah. Using D20 parlance. Mm-hmm. So. And since this interacts with C-space technology, they they definitely did this after they started going in, after space travel. They definitely started doing it. What's back. to say that this, they let's say that, they may that have. This couldn't have pu- pushed them into space travel. Exactly. They found out that. Ooh, this interacting with Z-Space suddenly gave them the opening they needed to get outside their solar system. Yeah, let's say they found this somewhere on the Andalite homeworld. And that's what, okay, after that, they just... Well, that would mean they would have to use more than one because, let's face it, when you reverse engineer something, you have to take it apart entirely. Mm-hmm. If you find a device and you reverse engineer it, that original device is destroyed because you've taken it apart right. down to its component parts to figure out what makes the thing tick. There would have had to have been more than one Escafil device because they'd have to do mm-hmm. that in order to be able to give their this ability to everybody. The, the, the Escafil device is what they made after they figured it out, right. basically. And then they just mass-produced them, right. They made however many there are, and use them when necessary. Uh, most common use is for basically when they're training their warriors. Um, actually, I believe that's part of the part of their basic training for their warriors, basically. They use the Escafil device to gain the ability, and they have to show proficiency in using the technology to ensure that that they weren't incompatible <clears throat> by morphing one of the uh, local creatures. Okay, I'm looking here just at their technology base. This is without morphing technology. I'm going to read the blurb here. Andalites are very technologically advanced and boast of a vast knowledge of science. They have several notable developments, primarily Z-space technology, Z-space engines allow a ship to travel through Z-space in entirely blank, void, white space and exit again some distance away, shortening travel time immensely and working around the limitations on FTL space travel. Z-space transonders work similarly, allowing one to communicate through Z-space subspace radio, similar to radio transmissions. Next, the ships themselves deserve note. First, there is the standard fighter ship, which has short stubby wings and a shredder gun slung over the top, fashioned to mimic the raised end light tail, which is posed as a threat or challenge. Next, there are the vast dome ships, main transport ships for fighters and crew. The dome portions an entire ecosphere, complete with atmosphere, grass, and water to sustain the Andalites on board so that the Andalites can carry their homeworld wherever they go. These ships can host many fighters, and generally only one dome ship is called out for an entire battle, with the occasional need for two and a rare necessity for three. All Andalite ships are equipped with Z-space flight capability and shredder guns. The shredders on a dome ship are rumored to be capable of punching a hole clean through a moon, clear through a moon on a dome ship. Okay, dome ship, boom. Capital ship, star destroyer. Capital ship, that's star yeah. destroyer level. During book 18, the decision axes a pair of Andalite subs at the city of worms on the planet Lyra. He also recognizes destroyed Andalite skimmers on the Lyran battlefield of the main continent. Oh no. Uh, hyperspace travel like that, the ability to create capital ships with a whole biosphere inside, definitely high PL8. Mm hmm. 
because you would need anti-grav technology to be able to have those type of ships. You could not do that with just normal fusion tech. No. You would have to grab and, and they they designed the Okay, I, ships. I I got to see this. I got to see the shredder gun. Just this is just me handheld weapons used by the Andalites. Due to the devotion Andalites show to their tail blades, the shredders fire their beams from tails perched on Andalite ships. Um okay, similar to okay, they're energy weapons. I see. I hear the shredder, and I'm thinking it's a physical, no, like a Fletcher gun. Okay, no, this is just. It, well, let's see. Uh, in the Andalite Chronicles, Elfanger says shredders have six different power settings. Level one, stun. Level six, blast a hole through ten feet of solid alloy. Level three is not deadly to most creatures, but powerful enough to knock them unconscious for several hours. Although that configuration was from many years in Andalite history and is referred to as a Yerk model, so it's unknown how much Andalite technology having advanced over that period of time differs from this old Yerk model. Uh, the Shredders equipped on an Andalite dome ship is far more powerful than any hand model. Yeah. Energy and heat released from a single full power blast is so great that if aimed at a planet, it could set the entire atmosphere ablaze and render its surface a little more than a charred crisp. Yeah, capital weapons. It's very fortunate the Andalites are nice people. Yeah. Don't make them mad. No. Gunboat diplomacy. You wouldn't like them when they're mad. <laughs> yeah. Speak softly and carry a big stick. Theodore Roosevelt. I was looking at the at the wiki and, and, and they mentioned that the Andalite homeworld is 82 light years away. Oh, that's spitting distance for a colony to be within 40 light years of Earth. Well, thankfully, this we put this on an alt. Putting it on a prime, yeah, that would bring a yeah, whole that new. That would have brought a whole new mess of worms. I looked and I couldn't find one that actually fit well enough. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't stop you as a GM from going. Well, I'll, I don't like this world. Plunk animorphs, and replace one. <laughs> yeah, put it on a prime. Oh yeah. Yeah, you want to put it on a prime? Go ahead. If they can sit there and do these, 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 even if even. The dang fighter ships have FTL travel. Mm -hmm. The fighter ships, yes. To make a faster than light engine on effectively a trans atmospheric craft, that's a very that that would be PL eight technology. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're From what I remember of D twenty future rules, they're basically putting it on something that's probably the size, the size of a fighter of an jet. Yeah, like a fighter jet, like mm -hmm. an F sixteen. Right. Actually, an X-Wing is actually smaller than most fighter jets. Yeah, yeah. Well, well still, something that size, size, and you're putting an FTL engine that can cut through... Same concept, though. Yeah, it's still... You're putting yeah. an FTL engine on it, and... It goes zoom. This is Bruce Sheffer saying, there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker. You best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts. Cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.